You're listening to the cycling podcast Femina, powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Well, hello one and hello all, and welcome to the December episode of the Cycling Podcast Feminine. I am joined by my wonderful colleague, Richard Moore. Hello, Richard. Hello, Lizzie. Forgot to say who you were there. I mean, you did really well apart from that, but you know, (laughs) I mean, poor old Rose Manley and Orla Shinoui, they're both quaking in their boots. This this challenge that you're mounting for a a permanent seat at the table. Uh, it's gathering, gathering well, pace. I was, I was actually joking about booting Orla out of the cycling podcast, Femina. Um, but she's gone. She's not here. It's just you and I. So, and by the way, I am Lizzie Banks. <laughs> Lizzie Banks and Richard Moore today on the cycling podcast, Femina. So, yeah, where is she, Richard? Well, I mean, or- Orla is kind of here in a in a sense because we are going to hear a lot from Orla later on. It's a bit of an unusual episode, this. It's, 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 it's a bit improvised, isn't it? Because Rose is obviously uh, on maternity leave. I'm not sure what our um, maternity leave conditions are at the Cycling Podcast, but she'll come back when she's when she's ready, um, which she's doing very I, I well, by the way. I assume you have a, a rule like the UCI, three months full pay, three months half pay, and then, uh, well... Hopefully Rose is. <laughs> hopefully Rose is too busy to listen. No, um, absolutely, yes. We're looking after Rose. Don't worry, we sent her a nice... A nice present of some uh, meals with a Grand Tour theme. Uh, That's the one thing that, as a new parent, you can miss out on, is actually eating yourself. So um, she and her partner, Phil, took delivery of some meals from the Cycling Podcast, which will tide them over for for a bit. Um, But they're doing very well. Um, She will be back at some point soon. Orla is running around Europe presenting things for Eurosport. But we are going to hear from her in this episode because... And forgive the the long-winded explanation for this, but each year we invite our most generous friends of the podcast to come up with ideas for a friend's special. And this year, three of them, Nick Busca, Scott Emmons, and Jack McKillop, came up with very similar ideas. Um, They were all about the podcast itself, its origins, how it works, what a typical day looks like, etc., so we went with the, these three guest editors for this friend special. But in the course of putting this together, Jack interviewed Orla about the origins of the Cycling Podcast Femina. It was a very interesting conversation. And rather than include it in the Friends special, we thought we would include it in an episode of the Cycling Podcast Femina. So that will be later on in this episode. And you and I, Lizzie, are really just here to introduce it. But you do have some pretty significant news yourself. Ooh, went on a nice bike ride today. No. Uh, Yeah, it's really exciting. I'm finally able to tell you what I'm up to for the next two years. So I have signed for EF Education TIBCO SVB for 2022 and 2023. So really, really good news. Um, Really happy to be able to share it with everybody. Um, And yeah, Insert a a round of applause in here. (laughs) And yeah, I just, just can't wait to be you know, back racing my bike, really. It's been well, a tumultuous it's, year. It's been a tumultuous year, but what tremendously exciting news to finish the year with because this isn't just any any old team, is it? I mean, it's your first World Tour team that you'll have been part of. They're joining the World Tour next year. You're kind of looking skeptical of that, but it is. Yeah, no, no, it is. I, it's funny because I kind of, I guess because the, the, the World Tour setup is quite new and it's kind of, you know, teams have come in in dribs and drabs. I think first there were seven teams and then there was nine 
eight or nine this year. Um, and then next year there'll be 13, I think. And so um, I felt like perhaps the setup on some of the teams was really the same as uh, what I had. But I think now from next year, the World Tour teams, the setup that you will get on the World Tour teams, the pay that you will get on the World Tour teams will really be a foot apart from the other teams. And so I think that, I mean, there's a lot to say about um, what's happening with EF Education, TIBCO, SVB next year. And one of the things is that the the infrastructure that's being put in place, thanks to, well, thanks not only to EF Education first coming on board, but to a doubling of sponsorship by TIBCO and Silicon Valley Bank. And, you know, TIBCO and Silicon Valley Bank have both been on board with that team for a really, really long time. So it's amazing to see them staying in the sport doubling their investment and enabling the team to step up to World Tour and then bringing on a third co-title sponsor with Education First. Uh, And all of those extra resources mean that the kind of, you know, the team behind the team is going to be completely different to how it was before. Um, And then again, of course, the riders will get a a really good salary and actually able to properly support yourself and properly live as a professional cyclist. Will we still need to keep paying you uh, for presenting this service course? Yeah, I, I'm afraid so. I'm afraid so, oh, Richard. Well. Got okay, to keep the, we'll got to keep the cats in there. We'll uh, we'll organic budget. chicken breasts somehow. We'll budget for that. I always, I always knew you'd end up in Silicon Valley, though, Lizzie. Um, <laughs> I mean, we're, we're going to do a, a sort of a brief review of the year since this is the final episode of the year. But, uh, and then we'll obviously hear from Orla. But obviously I want to ask you a few questions about how this move came about because you have had a a write-off of a year, unfortunately, after your crash at Strada Bianca. So, you know, what what was the process like for putting yourself back in the jobs market and and searching around for a new team? Yeah, I mean... um... To be honest, actually, I never, I never had any trouble. Kind of, it wasn't like I was really trying to find a job. Um, I always had options, but I, I guess my my journey to how I ended up <laughs> um, with EF Education Tibco SVB. You're doing um, very well there, by the not- way. <laughs> Thank you very much. It rolls off the tongue. It was not as simple as as you may first think. And, and we were speaking back in. Um, June or July, I think. And and it didn't work out at that point for whatever reason. Um, and then quite a bit later on, my professional life threw me a giant curveball, which is another story for another day. But as a result of that, I ended up back in conversation with um, Rachel Hederman, who is the sports director at TIBCO SVB this year and uh, next year she's ste- stepping up to general manager there the team is owned by Linda Jackson who I don't know personally but I almost feel like I know because I uh, my first professional team was in America in 2018 where Rachel Hederman was um, the director and the manager and we were racing so much against Tibco who, which Linda owns so um yeah, the, that curveball brought me back to a number of conversations that I've been having earlier in the year. And I guess my mindset about what I wanted out of a team changed a lot over the year. You know, a lot earlier in the season, I didn't I didn't realise how much, how long it would take. And I guess that process of recovery and and all of that just kind of changed what I wanted or what I, I think I, I thought I wanted something. And I realized I wanted something else. And I thought perhaps that um, 
being successful was the way to be happy. And actually, I realized I wanted to be on a team where uh, success came as a product of happiness and a good environment. And just to clarify, uh, what I'm referring to here is nothing to do with Ceratis at WNT who have been excellent and been brilliantly supportive, always given me the time they the time I needed. Um, and it, uh, yeah, it's a huge shame and not a regret because I couldn't have changed it, but it's a huge shame I wasn't able to do what I wanted to with them this year. Um, so yeah, so ended up kind of talking to Rachel again and it, yeah, in a way feels like I'm coming home because I started on American team back with Rachel again and um, English speaking team. I almost feel like I know the team, even though I've not been with it. So yeah. And when I agreed to join the team, I actually didn't know about EF Education First coming on board. Um, and with that, um, you know, the packet of sponsors that it brought, Rafa, Park, uh, Whoop, Cannondale, and then another other sponsors that aren't released yet. Um, and then there's so many other exciting things like the alternative calendar that we will take part in as well. And yeah, I, I, I'd bought into the idea of this team. And then when I found out about that, it was kind of like that, um, sparkle dust, that glitter on top that at that point in the year, I really needed, I really, really needed because it had been so rough and, um, yeah, just so, so difficult. I just needed something. I needed some good news, you know? And e yeah, yeah, EF, now that I'm... EF coming in seemed to put this sort of golden seal on the decision. Mm. No, I mean, it, 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 you know, you, you did have options, as you say, but um, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't just your decision. It was complicated, wasn't it? Because um, you're obviously... You obviously, one of the things you had to do was convince teams that you were going to be fit and healthy again next year. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. Um, actually, I was speaking with another team who equally, I think I would have had a really, I would, it would have been a really good fit for me. And actually they had no concerns about the concussion at all. They've been through it with another rider um, and there were kind of no conditions. And there are conditions with this team um, regarding my concussion and and um, kind of hoops that I have to jump through. But I actually think it's it was a difficult process to work out, but I think it's really important. And it was something that I always supported because I have been totally honest throughout the process, which I don't actually think has been in my favour, but it's not an attribute that I'm prepared to change. Um, but because I've been so brutally honest about what it's actually like to have a concussion, it means people get scared um, and get scared that, you know, it could return or what if I have another concussion? And so, you know, we have a protocol in place to ensure, ensure, well, primarily my own safety, that if something were to happen between now and when the racing starts and I were to get symptoms again, that we stop and we assess and, um, you know, we make sure that I'm completely good to go before we start and you know that not only protects me but it protects the team and I I think it was yeah I think it's the best way of doing it but it was it was tricky <laughs> it was very tricky to, to kind of organize and yeah I'm still having assessments to kind of check that I'm fine I'm well fine. it's confirmed it's confirmed <laughs> and there was a great reaction from people when you posted it on social media when it was announced um people very excited I think a lot of podcast listeners as well, very excited to see you racing again next year. What 
Do you know yet oh, what your year what your year is going to look like? What are your what are your plans uh, at I the mean, moment? Yeah, I mean, firstly, just thanks to everybody. It's just I had such a nice response, and today, well. I'm actually at home today and I'm off to Greece on a training camp tomorrow. But by the magic of podcasts, by the time you hear this, I will hopefully be at near the end of my training camp and super fit. Um, but yeah, I put the uh, put the release out last night and uh, it was just so lovely to hear everybody's feedback and so many people cheering for me. And I think when you're having a rough time and this goes for anyone, anywhere, you really forget how many people support you and, you know, privately and publicly and it's really, really lovely. And it gave me such a boost today on my ride. I couldn't stop grinning and I definitely had some extra power. Um, and now I've completely forgotten what you asked me, Richard. Um, Your plans for next year. Um, my what, plans what, for yeah, next year. Yeah, racing plans. Yeah, well, well, it's really exciting. We are still in the process of kind of refining the calendar and we've um, had a provisional calendar and we've put in our wish lists. And so uh, it is a huge jigsaw puzzle to try and work out what everybody wants to do and how to please everybody. But I, I'm actually really excited about the calendar. Uh, and I think it's a really balanced calendar. Um, I don't think I've ever seen a team's calendar before where I haven't looked at it and thought, oh my God, there's no way that we're going to be able to do this because people get injured, people get ill, things happen. There's always so many races and you just think, well, how are we going to do this? And I think that they've really carefully chosen which races to do as well as combining that with alternative events, um, gravel races, um, Cape Epic in South Africa, which I have requested to do in my calendar and I actually think that it fits really well in the spring program you have some one day races you have a block and then you have the the later spring races um but yeah again it's one of those things like I, I saw that on my calendar and I felt so excited by it I just felt yeah like almost like a child um and I just I just oh I really hope they let me do it I really really hope I can do it I really want to do it I wouldn't stop going on about it and there's this other amazing um ride at the end of the year called the brazil ride which is another i think it's a nine day mountain bike race in brazil and it just looks amazing and it's just everything i love about cycling exploring and finding somewhere new and a challenge that's completely out of your comfort zone and you know i am i think during the year there was a point where i kind of um i hadn't fallen out of love with road cycling i just had a poor relationship with it because I was trying to train on the road and I felt really ill and I was still trying to push because I was trying to make the Olympic team and da da da. So it was a it was challenging and um you know now I'm I'm getting fitter again and I'm healthy again. I'm like really enjoying being on the road again and I'm really excited about so many races next year about um particularly Ardennes classics and Tour de France and um, and potentially worlds in Australia, hopefully, fingers crossed. Um, but then these other events, I think they're great. They're great for the sponsors um, and they're great for the riders. It's really, really good mentally for the riders to mix things up, to do something new. And yeah, I just think it's exactly what the sponsors need. There's so much kind of, um, yeah, if you're a fan, you can go to this race and you can see someone and you can race with them. You can ride with them. You can be in the same race. The stories from the races are kind of easier to understand because you start and then someone wins. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's so much, there's so much going on next year. And I just, 
well, I can't wait to get started, but I need to get fit first. So I do need a few months. The the, the training camp will come in handy. I like the, the mountain bike strategically placed behind you, leaning against the piano there. That's a hint, oh, a hint that's at what's going to... That's my husband's... My husband's gonna, new mountain bike, he bought uh, one yesterday. Oh, he was getting jealous about all this talk nice. of Cape Epic. Well, I mean, <laughs> I can sense uh, Rose listening to this and, and feeling reassured that you're going to be too busy to fully replace her <laughs> um, on the Cycle Podcast Femina. Don't worry, Rose, we're only joking. Um, but yeah, no, it sounds like a, a packed year and that that's terrifically exciting. I mean, it's, it, it, you know, it's an interesting opportunity you've got at this team as well because um yeah certain other teams you could have gone to you might have find yourself in a in a more of a support role whereas i'm not saying at this team you'll be the team leader but it does look like there there will be opportunities for a rider like you in this team with the lineup they have you you know what it's more than that i think this year i had a very kind of privileged but also quite weird position of being an insider on the outside and so, well, usually you don't have a have the chance to kind of step back and watch and see what's going on. Um, but because I had so much time and I had nothing to do, I was able to watch that. And it was really, really interesting to see some of the things that were going on and speak to my friends in the Peloton. And, and actually, it was when I was at the women's tour, I realized... I want to be on a team where we celebrate the small victories. You know, if I come second in a race, I don't want it to be like, oh God, I can't believe you didn't win. I mean, of course we want to win. You know, who doesn't want to win? Like that's why we all do this. But let's celebrate the victories along the way, the small victories along the way. And by celebrating that and by lifting each other up when we make these small steps towards the really big goals you know surely that's how we we get there and we we keep ourselves motivated and I really yeah I was watching other teams and I was kind of seeing what you know what was happening when people won or didn't quite win um and I'm really excited to to be in a place where we have the potential to win but we will still be celebrated if we try our hardest and you know go out all guns blazing and try something really daring and we don't make it yeah we'll still celebrate that and i think that's really really important especially for me like that's yeah that's that's how i want to race and how i want it to work still guessing on fueling not sure what or when to eat or drink on rides that matter never again optimize your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data actionable insights and personalized analytics we're here to help you achieve your performance goals go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success thanks very much indeed to our title sponsor super sapiens the continuous glucose monitoring system that through a small device attached to your upper arm allows you to monitor your blood glucose and learn a lot about how to fuel properly particularly when training Let's hear a little about that from Super Sapiens founder and chief executive, Phil Sutherland. So we got a lot of videos on the website to try and teach and within the app. But then people ask a lot of questions on our Facebook group, you know, the Super Sapiens athlete page. It's a really engaged community of our, our customers. It's awesome just to see how active they are. They're posting their graphs and what they ate here and what their intensity was there and what they learned. And you know, the, the best education is just going to be from experimentation, right? And try to correlate what is that 
food do to me? You know, what is that? How do I feel when this the numbers X versus the numbers Y? And then you reverse engineer of okay, if your glucose on the bike, you feel best at 140. Then you start to figure out what are the fueling strategies you need to get there. Well, Lizzie, before we um, hear from Orla about the origins of the Cycling Podcast Feminine, interesting conversation she had with friend of the podcast, Jack McKillop. Um, let's do a few awards. I mean, th this is, you know, in, in, in the situation we're in here, you're you're just a rider, whereas I'm an expert. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, Richard, so I, <laughs> I've, got, I've come up with uh, some nominations for the various categories. That... Do you remember when you um, asked Anna Shackley if she was near Fisher Black? Oh, or was it the no, other way no, 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 I didn't do that. That's not what I did at all. No, 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 that's terrible. <laughs> That's not, not what I did at all. Um, ride of the year. Now, th this was tough. I, I, I came up with three candidates for this. Um, Lizzie Dagnan at Pyru Bay, an obvious you contender. Can't, you can't not, but I think we're going to have to not because, okay. you know. Okay. Okay. Well, ride or rider? Ride. Rider. This is ride of the year. We'll come ride. to rider of okay. the year in a moment. My second candidate, Anna Kiesenhofer for the Olympic road race. you mm. gotta you got to include that in the... Uh, in the, the nominees for Ride of the Year. My third one will surprise you possibly. Anna van der Breggen at Liège Baston Liège in support of Demi Vollering. In support of Demi Vollering. So course. three three very different very different rides in a way. Anna Kiesnoff for a huge upset. Lizzie Dagnan, a favourite for the race, but the way she won it was um, extraordinary. And Anna, Anna van der Breggen turning herself from champion to extraordinary domestique for her young teammate Demi Vollering which um really uh earned the admiration of a lot of people including me um so which would you say who, who would you pick well I'm gonna add a fourth one into the mix um and this is off the cuff because I've got about two minutes notice of this um I'm going to add Elise Shabby at the Tour de Suisse stage one not just because she's my good friend um so Elise outsprinted Lizzie Dagnan in the final from a small group in the first stage of the Tour de Suisse. And it was coming into the line. Oh, no, sorry. It wasn't a two small group. It was a two up sprint with Elise and Lizzie Dagnan. Um, and everybody was expecting Lizzie to win. Uh, and Elise. She usually does Elise win these two up sprints, the doesn't she, Lizzie? Sorry. <laughs> she, yeah, mm, thanks, sorry, Richard. Sorry, sorry. That's so, a reference uh, to Grand Prix Plouet uh, a couple of years ago now. Last year. Last year. Was it? Last year. Okay. 2020. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Um, the year before it all went horribly wrong. So I'm also going to add Elise Shabby into the mix because well, I think that win was a catalyst for her realizing quite how good she is. And I, yeah, a lot of other people have realized. And then after that, she was on the. Uh, the, the challenge by Love Welter podium and so many other amazing results. So I'm going to throw that into the mix. And as well. the, the, we had an interview with her um, after that, and the episode in which that was in was called Not Too Shabby. Very clever title for the episode. <laughs> and actually, that was our most listened to episode of the Second Podcast Femina all year until. Oh. Until this one. Give it one. to Elise. Until Give this it to one. Elise. And so she's a doctor. She you saved get, lives. You get the casting vote then. Who, who gets right of the year? Elise Shabby? Um, what were your nominations? Anna van der Breggen. Lizzie Dagnan. Anna Kiesenhofer. And Anna Kiesenhofer. Mm. Ooh. I'm not going to give it to Lizzie D because I'm going to give her something else. Um, I'm going to give it to Elise. Elise Shabby. I feel like 
Well done. Anna van der Breggen, she's, she's won enough. Yep. Anna Keys and Hopper, Hopper, she's already got an Olympic gold. What yep. else does she need? Yep. Okay, Elise Shambi. Izzy Dagnan, she's got a cobble. Give it to Elise. Elise Shambi will send you our cycling podcast casket. Um, right, if you can get her. Get us, get us her address, please, Lizzie. Rider of the year, rider of the year. Okay, my, my candidates are Demi Vollering, Annemiek van Vluten, Marlon Rooser, and Emma Norsgaard. Ooh, see, that's now, this is what I would have given to Lizzie Dagnan, unless there's another category for Lizzie Dagnan, because I feel for rider of the year, what Lizzie Dagnan, not only what she did, but what she represented, what she said, um just the way she upholds herself in general, the way she speaks about women cycling, all that she's done for it over the years, uh, all of that has culminated in in the way that she won Paris-Roubaix. But also, I just think what she has done for the sport just in one race, you know, all the culmination of what she's done for, every, for the sport over the years, leading to the culmination of what she did in that one race is so, so utterly historically significant for women's cycling and we will look back on that day for so many years to come i think you can't not give it to lizzie Dagnan. okay well even <laughs> so. though even though i am the expert and that's confirmed you have you've steamrolled over my nominations both categories so far and and come up but, with someone different that's i mean fine. credit you, to mention to all of the riders and it's, you're entitled you know, I think, to do that <laughs> yeah I think all of those are the riders. Maybe they'll win another category. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. <laughs> Team of the year. SD Works. I mm. could only really see one candidate for that, really, if we're being honest. I was going to go for a curveball and uh, say Valkar. Valkar Travel. Yes, service. I thought you might say them. I thought you might say them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> can I? Can well, I so this is just what Lizzie picks for yeah, the award. Why not? They probably appreciate their cycling podcast caskets more than the the SD Works riders. I think. Um, I, I was. Well, I, this is a bit unfair, but um, I also came up with a underperforming team of the year in that category too, and I put Bike Exchange down. And what interests me about that is that their women's team hasn't had as bad a year as their men's team, but both teams have had pretty bad years, and it's 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 interesting that they both have had probably the worst years in their in their respective histories. I mean, uh, Bike Exchange yeah. coping with the loss of Annemiek van Vluten, of yeah. course, who was such but an important writer you, for them. If you cast your mind back to the spring, they actually had a very good spring, and Grace Brown in particular yeah. had an exceptional yeah. spring. So perhaps it was the latter half of the year, Grace was out with, within, with injury, um, Amanda Spratt was struggling with um, iliac artery endocarditis, which she's now had surgery for, um, and of course they lost i mean she didn't die but anamik moved to movistar um and so their two leaders were you know out with injury and so i actually think that it wasn't that bad if you were in the middle of the year richard you were saying mm. that um dsm had had a terrible year yes so that's true. i mean they then because now we're blighted by what we've seen most recently and that's lorena Vibers winning after winning, you know, winning race mm. after race after race. Um, so I think that we shouldn't give an award for the for the least performing team of the year because I think that all teams try their best and we all come across a lot of adversity um, and I'm sure it will make them stronger in the long run, I hope. So well, let's just give it to what, Valcar Travel and Service. I mean, yeah, okay, the reason why I mean, we're giving it to Valcar Travel and Service is because, as you will have heard in the... Um, women's tour podcast where we talked about how 
you know, that we talked about their excellent teamwork so much. They always punch above their weight in what they do in a race, the way they work as a team and the way they celebrate as a team. And they do not care which rider they go for, but they always go all in for one rider. Um, and we saw Elisa Balsamo winning on the final stage of the women's tour. And it was brilliant. It was really, really brilliant. And um, yeah, I, I think that they they deserve the award. So well done, Valkyrie Travel and Service. I will try not to steamroll the next one, Richard. <laughs> okay. Race of the year. Race of the year. Your contenders are Pyro Bay, Olympic Road Race. That's probably a controversial choice for some. And stage four of the Vuelta a Burgos. Oh, well, I didn't watch the stage four of the Vuelta a Burgos because I wasn't really watching races at that point. Um, so I can't comment on that. Um, so it was just a to... great battle. Well, but, but Van der Breggen and Van Vluten. Van der Breggen you know, and Van Vluten, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was just a, a great, a proper mountain finish and a, a great battle where you really felt you were watching the two best riders in the sport um, go at it, as we've seen many times, but this was a particularly... Uh, enthralling battle, close battle between the pair of them. With Demi Vollering not too far behind, as I recall. Well, I I think I will vote for Parry Roubaix. Um again for the one of I my mentioned. nominations. Unbelievable. <laughs> I, I, can't, I mean it was actually my nomination, disagree. Richard. <laughs> yeah, I can't disagree with that. I can't disagree with that. Because it was, uh, for, for all the reasons we discussed on the last episode of the Cycling Podcast, Femina, you know, we spent a bit of time um, paying tribute to it, I suppose. And, and it, it really did, it didn't just live up to expectations or hopes, it, it exceeded them. And it was a fantastic day. Mm. And it's You'll just, be there next year. I hope so. And I think it's really, it is one race that has changed the view of women's cycling. Um, and mm. I think that we will see, we will see a different, perspective on women's cycling and perhaps a, a new genre of fans um for women's cycling next year so i think the award has to go to pyro bay congratulations yeah well done pyro bay i'll send you a casquette as well um uh actually the, the they also produced some very nice artwork from pyro bay fam uh, which ian boswell wanted uh, one of the posters for his neighbor and managed to get one from aso um, and I got just one, and I thought, actually, it's very nice. I wish I'd asked for one for myself as well. Um, but it was it, it was well done the whole the whole event, and the fact it was on the Saturday as a standalone event also helped. <coughs> except and it, for and it's a shame. Except for, <coughs> except for full live TV coverage. Well, except for that, except for that. Um, but it's coming. But, I, I hope. Yeah. Okay. Surprise. Let's just of the say year. it's coming. If we say it's coming. If we say, oh, next year they're doing the full thing live, then they can't not. Lizzie Bag says on Cycling Podcast Femina December, it's coming. (laughs) It's coming. Okay, surprise of the year. Surprise of the year. I am, well, I only have one nomination for this. Kristen Faulkner, who will not be a a surprise. She'll not be a she was a surprise to me. She'll not be a teammate of yours next year because she's moving on to Team Bike Exchange. I thought she was a surprise. The the um, level of her performances all year from the start of the year um, were, I thought, a surprise. Do you have a better I think she... nomination? Um, not yet. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Anna Kiesenhofer. Well, yeah, that's true. 
Yeah, that should have been a second one. Okay, well, we go for her then. <laughs> I mean, Kristen Faulkner, she she had a good year and she had consistently very strong results. Um, but I'm not that surprised because she definitely she definitely showed that that was coming. Um, and she was, yeah, she was supported well on that team. Um, and then, of course, it culminated with her victory at the Tour of Norway. Okay, was Demi, I mean, would you say Demi Vollering was a surprise, the progress that she made, the leap that she made forward this year, or not really? Because she, she, I mean, she's been a huge talent, but yeah. she she stepped up in, immediately. In fact, you know, again, one of the rides of the year for me was her ride at Het Newsblad as a support mm. rider. Mm-hmm. It, it just showed me that she was going to fit into that team very well. And um, I thought she made a huge leap forward this year. Maybe not a surprise, but definitely... And yeah. she kind of, you know, did did she, rise to the She really occasion. deserves a mention because she had such a phenomenal year. Of course, she won the women's tour as well. She won um Liege Baston Liege, she won La Course by the Tour de France. Um I would say it, it's not really a surprise because it's the ex- it was kind of the expected trajectory. She's clearly the successor to Van der Breggen in SD Works, and she it was it was clear that I mean, of course, SD Works is, yeah, yeah, former best team in the world. How many times? Um, and it's clear that they were putting their energy into, and Anna as well was putting their energy into um, helping Demi become that leader that she has already shown to be this year. Perhaps um, I don't know. Perhaps we didn't ex- expect to see the that level so fast, but I think we did because we'd seen it before, um, and now that she had that hugely supportive and incredibly talented team around her <laughs> domestiques like Anna van der Breggen um I'm not surprised but it is very very good so well done Demi but you didn't win this award I'm afraid sorry about that Demi um well listen Lizzie it's been it's been lovely talking to you and uh kicking off this episode <laughs> of the second podcast, Feminine. Kicking off or kicking I mean, me off? We we were just going to do a short intro. We've ended up obviously talking a bit longer than than anticipated. That's not uncommon. Um, but we should we we should cross over to Orla. Um, in conversation with Jack McKillop. Orla, I booted her out. She's gone. Yeah, <laughs> yes, it is woman. <laughs> yes, it is woman. Um, no, I mean this this is. I'm sure. I hope that listeners enjoy this. Um. We, as I said earlier, we thought we'd include this interview in Femina rather than putting it in a Friends special. But rather sneakily, we do hope that it encourages anyone who's not a friend of the podcast to become a friend of the podcast. If you'd like to do that, head over to thecyclingpodcast.com. Um, it costs now £20 to sign up as a friend of the podcast for the year. If bargain. You, bargain. If you pay a bit more than that, you can get a special gift as well. Um either a casquette or a tea towel or both, if you're a very generous friend of the podcast. Over Christmas, we will be releasing a Christmas selection box of friend specials, hoping that one of those will include uh, your good self, Lizzie. Oh. In conversation with another rider. Do I get a selection box to eat whilst... Is it a challenge? Do I have to get through the selection box whilst I'm doing the conversation? And whoever well, gets through it first wins. Maybe. Don't mention that to your new team. But um, if you'd like to do that, that's fine. You can do it sort of, uh, we can do it secretly. Yeah, work your way through a selection box. Um, well, all of them. Would you eat the, the coffee cream, the strawberry cream? Do you? No, no. 
I don't like just coffee. The, the toffees and the caramels. <gasps> Did I just tell people that I don't like coffee? Um, I like the strawberry cream, the orange cream, the toffees. Oh, you do? Um, oh. Yeah, just not the not the coffee. The toffee, but not the coffee. No. Yeah, yeah, I don't like the coffee cream. But I do like the coconut. Oh, wow. Controversial. And the do Brazil nuts. A, a good Ooh. person to share a selection box with then. I mean... The sharing will involve you having the coffee and me having the rest. <laughs> yeah, difficult to do virtually on a Zoom call, but we can oh, try something. Oh, you to me. Yeah. Well, listen, Lizzie, thank you very much. Enjoy your training camp in Greece. Um, looking forward to hearing about that because I don't know anything about riding in Greece. So um, tell us all about it when you get back as well. I will do. Thanks for having me. And... Um... I hope to be invited back on this podcast again, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure I'll get invited back after all of my bad behaviour. <laughs> so thank you, Richard. Thanks, Orla. Thanks, Rose. It's been a pleasure, and have a lovely Christmas. Thanks, Lizzie. The cycling podcast Femina is supported by Science in Sport. Science in Sport, fueled by science. Thank you very much once again to our long-term sponsor, Science in Sport, for their support of the cycling podcast in all our iterations, including the Cycling Podcast Femina since 2016. If you'd like 25% off all your science and sport stuff, and now is the perfect time to stock up. We're in the middle of winter. It could even be a Christmas present. Go to scienceandsport.com and at the checkout, enter the code SISCP25 for 25% off. That's SISCP25 at scienceandsport.com. Now let's hear from listener Jack McKillop in conversation with Orla Shinoui about the origins of the cycling podcast Femina. Why don't we start off with you talking to us about where the idea for Femina came from? Well, it's funny because me and Richard have different memories of this, actually, and I don't know if we've ever, if I've ever said that to him because he always tells, I can't remember what he thinks the origin of Femina is, but every time he says it to me, I think, mm, that's definitely not how this conversation started. So I remember my version anyway, as I was driving home from the airport one day, can't remember where I was coming from, but it was a work trip of some sort. He called me and I put him in loudspeaker and he said, I've had this idea. What do you think? I'm thinking of doing a woman's cycling podcast. So it would be me and you. Um, let's just see how it goes. And this was, it must have been 2016 because we must have got it off the ground really quickly. And the Women's World Tour had only just started. But back then, nobody was really talking about it. Um, so it felt like it could be quite... A, not a gamble because if it didn't work, it didn't work. But we had no idea if anybody would be interested. Genuinely just didn't know if anybody would listen to it. Um, but as with most things, if it's suggested to me, I'll say yes. And then I'll work out what I've said yes to. So I jumped at the chance and and we went for it. And um, he came round to my house one day. So I was living just outside London at the time in a place called Beckenham in uh, Kent. And we sat on a little bench in my garden in the sunshine and recorded the first episode of Feminat and then put it out to the world. And like I said, I had no idea how it would go down. Um, and we just managed, I think, to find an audience and maybe tap into something that was certainly nascent but not concrete yet. And the audience just grew with us and with the sport. And and I'm, I was going to say I'm very proud of that. I don't know if that's if I have a right to take any pride in any of that because the pride belongs to 
the stakeholders in the sport and to the fans who've who've made sure that they were listened to. But I, I suppose I feel satisfied by it. It's been a really satisfying journey to to grow the podcast at the same time as the sport has been growing and to build an audience alongside it. Just being in a team makes you work that extra bit harder and you have a role to play. All the six girls are 100% committed on what they have to do. We race with hearts and, and you have your goals and if you're racing, you're racing. You're listening to the cycling podcast Femina with Ola Shinri and Richard Moore, supported by Rowan King Cycling Coaching. Hello, my name's Richard Moore. I'm with Orla Shinui. Good afternoon, Richard. Hello, Orla. Hi. This is a historic first ever cycling podcast Femina. It is indeed. We feel the weight of history on our shoulders. Weeks in the planning. <laughs> when, when you started or when Richard sort of pitched the idea to you, what was, what was the goal of it for you? Like, what did you think the reason for doing it was? Did you have anything in mind or were you just sort of thinking, oh, we'll, we'll give it a shot and see how it goes? Give it a shot and see how it goes. Um, the goal, though, was to do it justice, to do women's cycling justice. And I don't want that to sound too worthy. I mean, there's an element of worthiness to it, I guess, and there always will be if you are trying to shine a light on a gender of a sport that has been traditionally ignored. But it did feel like there it was an interesting time in women's cycling. You know, it felt like there were loads of stories there and... And actually, one of the big goals that we had was to uncover and give a platform to the really interesting stories within women's cycling that we don't get in men's cycling because men's cycling is so much more professional and professionalized, which means that riders can and tend to come into it much younger and have that as their career focus in women's cycling. Certainly when we started the podcast, everyone pretty much was part-time. There were so few actual professionals in the sport. Minimum wage was years off yet. A proper salary was years off yet. Obviously in a lot of teams, that's still the case. But most riders then had to A, have an education um, for something to fall back on and B, often work alongside their job of trying to be a professional cyclist as well. And so that is what we found really, really interesting. That quickly became an early focus. And I realise now when I'm talking to you, Jack, that it's so much less so now. I mean, we talk about Elise Shabby, for example, or we talk about Ashley Millman, Passio and, um, and her uh, engineering. But we talk a lot less now about what riders get up to away from races and away from training because it's a much bigger focus of their lives, which is a huge success of women's cycling. But it, but we've sort of lost that extra thread of narrative, I guess, to the podcast, which is a good thing. Um, but yeah, there's, I mean, there's still so many different layers of stories to tell, aren't there? It goes out on the same feed as the the, orig the original cycling podcast like was that was that part of your decision making about because you know you talked about an audience and whether or not the audience already existed for it or whether you're going to have to create it so did you have any discussions about whether to launch it as an entirely separate sort of standalone podcast or the decision to um, use the cycling podcast name and feed I don't think we ever did have that conversation and Richard might correct me or he might have had that thought or conversation with other people. Um, 
from my memory, it was always going to be a branch of the cycling podcast. And it was the first one, you know, there are lots of different um, offshoots now, if you like, but it was the first one to do that. There wasn't the space and probably the appetite in the main podcast to do justice to women cycling, but it wasn't that they wanted to set up something completely different. You know, they wanted it to, they wanted to make sure it was still attached to the brand and it was still, I guess tapping into that audience was a big, big, big part of its success. You know, it was a big part of it. We we brought over an awful lot of listeners in the early days from the regular podcast. I think it was really good that we had and have Richard leading it. Um, and it's partly, you know, because he is that voice of continuity between the two podcasts, but also he's really, really passionate about it and he's really interested in it. And and it it winds me up no end whenever people will maybe come to the podcast quite new. Um, and certainly whenever Richard was the main host of it, and these days it's Rose. But, you know, on social, we get people saying, why do we need a man's voice on this? And we don't need Richard. It should just be the woman. Hang on a minute. Why on earth should we exclude Richard from a conversation or any man from a conversation about women's cycling? That's so backward. I'm not prepared to be excluded from any conversation about men's cycling. Um, far from it. For all those reasons, I'm really happy that it's a, a part of the big family. You know, I think I think it's only been a good thing. <laughs> you haven't heard what I'm going to say to Richard yet. <laughs> oh, oh, it's an insurrection. Help. He's locked up. That's our wonderful Richard Moore, who's we've trapped in a little the box. The artist formerly mm. known as lead presenter. Still hanging around. Talk to me about the, the roles that you have. When you think about you, Richard, and Rose, do you see any specific roles that that people play? And, you know, it, it's interesting that Richard is the only male there. Does that, does that sort of um, pigeonhole him into a certain role or does it exclude him from asking certain questions or no. having any perspectives? No, it doesn't actually. And, it, and that's a really good question. Sometimes, um, without sounding too condescending, I feel sorry for Richard because he gets bullied a little bit by me and Rose because we jump on the fact that he is the only bloke. and But he can more than give it as well. And I should say to any listener who does feel sorry for him, he gives us no end of abuse when the... Um, when the recorders aren't rolling and then he plays little Mr. Innocent during the podcast. But anyway, um, <laughs> no, he doesn't roll back from asking things, but he's really respectful of sometimes, I guess, an issue needing to be led more by me and Rose because um, only a female perspective is 100% authentic in certain things. So, for example, I'm pretty sure it was his idea to do the water feature that we did on the women's tour a few years ago, whereby we had noticed how more women were, more riders, uh, were stopping for a nature break. And that hadn't really been the case before because really the races, the stages were shorter and they didn't really need to. Um, but it was becoming more of an issue because organisers were saying um, that they had to be careful as to where they did it because you're not allowed to be doing it in a public place, essentially. And we just find it fascinating that for a woman, you can't just whip down your bib shorts in the same way that men can. So what are the techniques and how do you do it? And it, is it something that um, clothing manufacturers are looking at? And I think we probably discussed really whether Richard was not best place, but okay place to be asking riders this in the middle of a race, asking about their weighing habits. And we all felt it was important that he did, you know, because he is there as a journalist. And, and if we're going to be completely gender neutral, it should be fine. 
In terms of what roles we have, I think we probably do have quite different roles in a way. Rose is the fastidious note taker. So she will have lots of prep in front of her whenever we're recording. Um, I obviously have to anyway, because I do the news roundup. So I'll have all my notes for the news roundup and that tends to act as prep for the rest of it anyway. I would say I'm probably the quickest to jump on the soapbox and um, stay there for quite a while, shouting and stamping my feet. But I'm okay with that because if people don't agree with me, I'm okay with, with um, I'm not okay with debate. I actively encourage debate, especially in our current cancel culture. I wish we... Uh, would refine the art uh, of debate. Richard is also very good at getting on the soapbox, but I would say he's probably a mixture of the two. He's He does his research in a different way to Rose, I think, and he brings a lot of stories as well to uh, the podcast. He tends to be at races more these days than me and Rose are, so he's got so much colour to bring from races, uh, more so than we do, whereas my perspective is often of the race, same as Rose, uh, that we're watching from afar. And, and mine will be maybe of the women's cycling industry because I do a lot of presenting and and talk to other um, commentators and journalists and whatnot. But yeah, I would say probably Rose is the note taker. I'm the soapboxer. And maybe Richard is the link in between or the colour, I guess, as well in between. Yeah, it, it's really interesting you're talking about Richard asking writers about peeing. And... And I, and I totally understand like, your perspective on why he should be asking that question. But do you think, and it, it, maybe it's a little unfair to ask you this, maybe I should ask Richard this, but um, how do you think he, and I suppose the, the three of you in general, are seen by the writers? Like, would a female writer who, who didn't oh. know who he was and who didn't know, because, because your decision <laughs> about him asking that question is couched in your understanding of like the podcast and, uh-huh. and the, the place that you sit as a group in sort of British cycling media. Um, but how do you think a female writer who maybe didn't know exactly all of that context, how do you think they feel about Richard coming to talk to them about, you know, where, where and how they pee. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm going to have to listen back to this episode and make sure now that he did ask questions. Um, but I'm laughing when you ask that question because uh, Lizzie Banks referenced this in the, la- in the last podcast where um, she first came across Richard when she was presented with a Pedalers de Charme t-shirt. So she was one of our Pedalers de Charme at the women's tour one year. And so Richard came along and presented her with this t-shirt. And she said, she looked at this massive Scottish man coming towards her with this, with this funny t-shirt. It was like, who are you and what are you doing? But Richard's so gentle, you know, and he's so sparkly and smiley that I think you, you will quickly, I think, read that he's, um, he comes in peace, you know. I think we're privileged at the minute that a lot of the big writers certainly know of the podcast or listen to the podcast. And that makes a huge difference, obviously, but they still don't know what a lot of us look like. You know, I used to always say it could, it can be an advantage being a woman in the male peloton and the male journalistic pack because you stand out and you're remembered. And so people will answer your questions more quickly. Richard stands out in women's cycling, but you know, there are more men now coming into it, which is a good thing. And um, certainly with the Women's Tour de France next year, the Tour de France fam, there will be a lot more men, I would say, covering that than ever before. Um, 
or maybe not it might it might maybe not but um i think it's something that the writers are getting used to for sure the media attention in general really shoot uh, shoot that arrière du peloton cycling podcast team car the back of the pack please Seb PK there, interrupting the Cycling Podcast Femina to remind me to tell you that this December episode is sponsored by Calm. Calm is the number one mental wellness app that's become an important tool for me, particularly when traveling. I find that when I'm in unfamiliar surroundings, including an unfamiliar bed, I sleep less well. And when I wake up in the middle of the night, as I invariably do, rather than committing the cardinal sin of doing some dreaded doom scrolling on Twitter... I turn instead to my Calm app, which I'll have teed up on going to bed, so it's the first thing that appears when I turn the phone on. Then I might listen to some soothing soundscapes. Okay, wake up. That was the ocean waves one. There's also a a cat purring. especially for Lizzie Banks, that one. But I find these very effective. Uh, I might instead listen to a sleep story, my favourite narrator being Eric Barra, who I notice keeps adding new ones, so other people must like him too. It's not just sleep that Calm can help you with. There are daily meditation programmes and mental fitness talks, including a series called Train Your Mind with LeBron James, who also incidentally has a very relaxing voice, though if you nod off listening to him, you might want to go back and listen again. We're partnering with Calm, the number one mental wellness app to give you the tools that improve the way you feel. And if you go to calm.com slash cycle, that's C-A-L-M dot com slash cycle, you'll get a limited time offer of 40% off a Calm premium subscription, which includes hundreds of hours of programming and new content is added every week. Over 100 million people around the world use Calm to take care of their minds. Sleep more, stress less, live better with Calm. You talked about the audience, and we talked a little bit about, you know, whether or not you're, when you first started, you were sort of speaking to a new audience, or whether you were speaking to an audience that already existed for the for the main podcast. And now you're seeing numbers that suggest that actually there are people who are coming to the second podcast specifically because mm. of feminine. So when you are presenting and when you're thinking about your audience. Who do you think your audience is right now and has it changed? Wow, that's a really good question because this is going to sound awful. I don't think we can think about who the audience is and what they want. I know that we have a lot of people in the sport who listen to it, you know, and we're always really aware when we talk about Annemiek van Vleuten and anything we say about her, she listens to every episode. And if you think about that, then you're not going to be honest in what you've got to say about her. And I know that we've got race organisers who listen to us, um, coaches and the general fans as well. And maybe, you know, if you're thinking in terms of pure commercial entertainment, you're thinking about the fans and how to engage them and how to connect with them. But for us, it's always been that we're delivering something, that we're presenting something, that we are packaging something for people. And if they like it, then brilliant. And if they don't, we're staying true to what we think it should be. So I don't know if that makes it sound like we're in our own little bubble. I really hope not. But because we come from... A journalistic background, both myself and Richard, and then I come from a broadcast background and Rose is entirely broadcast, but she's also worked within the teams. We ha- I think we've got um, 
so many bases covered that we know we think what a good podcast would be. Yeah, I just wondered if you ever felt like there was a time maybe at the beginning when you were sort of having to explain women's cycling, you know, as if you were speaking to an audience who were completely ignorant of it, or if you felt like you were sort of promoting women's cycling, mm-hmm. or if you just went into it, like, would you go into a podcast, you know, in 2016 about women's cycling the same way as you would have done to the you know on the sort of main podcast or are you did you feel as though you had to kind of do more to explain to people the the sort of scenery of women's cycling yeah there's a lot more assumed knowledge now in the podcast you're right a lot more assumed knowledge uh we never we never went down the route of of explaining what the sport's about um because with a podcast you kind of assume if people are coming to it they're coming to it from a point of interest so for example when I present on the television I always try to present to a knowledgeable audience and those who might be coming to it for the first time because your reach is much wider in television and much more general but with a podcast we assume a certain level of knowledge but you're right in that to begin with for quite a long time um and this is actually more to do with the exposure that women's cycling gets these days. But in the news roundup, I would I would have spent a lot more time explaining how a race developed and how it unfolded. So I would talk about the riders who were in the breakaway and then who caught them and the dynamics that led to somebody winning. And the reason I did that was because I felt like the riders were never given enough exposure. And so if you only ever mentioned the winners, we're only hearing the same names over and over again. And I wanted to make sure that there was a big enough platform that our audience could be aware of many more riders and much more that's happening within the race. And that was essential because women's racing wasn't televised. So there was no way for our audience to access that information unless they trawled through all of the race reports like I did. Or I was going to say if they went to... Um, a race if you went to a race you wouldn't be able to know on all of that either unless you had a media accreditation and you're doing the job of gathering the stories at the end of it so I explained an awful lot more and spent a lot more time talking about the races and and that's also because there were fewer races to talk about and um we had less to talk about now the sport is so evolved, it feels that the news roundup for start has to be much more condensed. But also, I don't need to say 20 different names in one given race because we assume our audience know most of those names already. We'll pick out the ones that they may not know and who deserve a mention. But there are so many more avenues now that our audience um, can go down if they want to get that information. And so if we're doing the job of painting by numbers a race that they've already watched on Eurosport or GCN, for example, then it almost be it makes the podcast a little bit redundant. We want to be added value to the racing coverage that's out there and the racing knowledge that the audience might have already rather than repeating very much. So yeah, that's a significant change actually, but that's um, it is cognizant, of course, of the audience and their growing um, awareness and appetite for women's racing. But it's probably more a reflection of the amount of women's cycling coverage there is out there more than anything else. And I ask this question from a, a place of ignorance because, um, you know, Femina is really my access point to women's cycling as well as um, what I watch 
uh, on the TV. And, you know, you and I were talking before we started recording, but I have a daughter. And because I have a daughter, and I more actively seek out women's racing because I, I want her to, to see it and to watch it on the TV. But where, where does this cycling podcast, Feminine, fit in the sort of current landscape of, of um, journalism and media for women's cycling? Are you quite prominent? Are you quite well-known? Or are you quite a small aspect of it? Like, I, I genuinely have no idea if you have competitors maybe in other countries or other languages that are, are doing a similar thing or, or, or are doing well. Like, how, how does the Feminine podcast sit in that landscape? I almost think that's a question for other people rather than us, because yeah, for enough. a start, we don't we you can't access others um, listener or download figures. But I do have access to some podcasts. So I do know that um, in terms of listens and downloads, we're we're really prominent in the cycling world, not just the women's cycling world. Um, and we get more listens for Femina than other general cycling podcasts that top the sports podcast charts. I mean, I hope we're, I hope we're a prominent voice. I hope we're an important voice. They, it's, it's helped, I guess, by the work that we all do outside of the podcast as well, you know, because um, I'll maybe bring an audience from television over to the podcast, Richard from the regular podcast rose from the bunny hop which is the um youtube show that that she launched this year which is exclusively for women cycling but i think we are still a reference point uh it's brilliant that there are more women cycling podcasts because there are you know when i speak to riders they often know the podcast and listen to the podcast and so that's a good sign so um I think it's a good sign anyway unless they're listening to it to get angry every month <laughs> and rail at the lack of knowledge we actually have but um yeah it's probably something that needs to be analyzed by someone who's a bit more removed from it than than us on the inside Shoot, uh, shoot that out of cycling podcast team car at the back of the pack, please. That's Seb PK, the voice of Radio Tour, and this is Lionel Burney interrupting this episode of the cycling podcast Feminin to tell you that it's sponsored by the Hammerhead Carew 2, a cycling computer that I've been using for the past couple of months. And for a limited time, Hammerhead have got an incredible deal for all you listeners. You can buy a Carew 2 at hammerhead.io slash trade and get up to $170 off the price when you trade in your current cycling computer. That's the equivalent of £125 in the UK. My first impressions of the Hammerhead Carew 2 were the screen, which is smartphone-like, not just in terms of its touchscreen being really responsive, but also its design. It's got an almost matte finish, and that makes the graphics really crisp and clear and very easy to see at a glance. Um, but the two features that I've enjoyed most and got the most use out of are, first of all, the mapping. I particularly enjoyed plotting my routes on the Hammerhead dashboard on my laptop. It's as simple as just pointing and clicking the route that I want to follow and then letting the Hammerhead do the rest. The dashboard uploads the route seamlessly to the Hammerhead Carew 2 when it's at home on the Wi-Fi. And then when I go out for a ride, I can select which route I want to follow. 
Obviously, the turn-by-turn directions are really easy to follow. Uh, It's particularly good at getting you back onto a route if you go off course. But the thing that's really uh, changed my relationship with some of the hills that I've ridden for decades, ever since I started cycling as a kid, is the exclusive climber feature, which gives you the upcoming elevation changes in real time and, crucially, tells you how many metres there are to go to the top of the climb. And it subtly redefined my relationship with some of the climbers that I thought I knew like the back of my hand and it's perhaps uh, encouraged me to go a bit harder knowing that there's only 200 meters 100 meters 50 meters to go to the top the climber feature has been designed and developed in collaboration with some of the world's best climbers and it's used by Vuelta stage winner Mike Woods of the Israel startup nation team among others Chris Froome and Justin Williams are other riders who use the Karoo 2 as do Flora Duffy and Magali Rochette The Karoo 2 is also scooping up awards now. It's recently won Bicycling Magazine's Editor's Choice in the GPS Cycling Computers category for the past two years. And it's the best tech winner in Bicycling's 2021 Gear of the Year Awards too. So if you want to take advantage of that incredible deal, you can get $170 off the price when you trade up to a Karoo 2 by Hammerhead and trade in your current cycling computer. And if you don't want to trade in, or if you just want to gift a Karoo 2, you can get $50 off a new Karoo 2 instead. So get your time-limited Karoo 2 discounts today at hammerhead.io slash trade. And we'll put those details in the show notes. Eleanor, by the time anyone hears this, I'm sure probably they'll have read on your social media what your exciting news is. But in case they haven't, tell us what's your big news. Uh, my news is that my boyfriend Casper and I are expecting our first child. Ah! <laughs> Am I allowed to scream? <laughs> Absolutely, I have been. <laughs> so let me just ask you then, is there a story or an episode or... Uh, maybe even an aspect of the show that you uh, are are most proud of or or think back to fondly. Like, do you have is there is there an episode or or somebody that you spoke to and you think, oh, that was that was your favourite thing that you have done so far on oh, the podcast? Do you know what? So much, Jack. So much. I've had so many highlights from the podcast that it really, really is a privilege to do. Um, you know, if I think of something recently, I got to interview Eleanor Barker about her pregnancy and um, I was the first one that got to speak to her and just talking to her mother to expectant mother about the whole process and about the change that the industry has gone through so that she's gotten to the stage now where she's able to comfortably and confidently pause her career while keeping a contract that wasn't yet signed on the table um was really, I don't know, I just felt really, really satisfied by that conversation and I felt quite emotional because every now and again we get to a stage where we realise how much progress has been made and I think it's really important to to recognise that and it was the same with, with Women's Prairie Roubaix, I think is one of the most significant races that I've ever witnessed for so many reasons. But I think actually fondest memories are of the Women's Tour and the the nightly episodes that we've done there because we were the first of any broadcaster to do daily, um, not to do daily coverage because they had daily highlights, but whenever we started doing our daily podcast from there, our podcast was the first uh, first thing to be released from the day's racing. So before you got to watch the highlights on the TV at like 10 o'clock at night or whatever, you were able to listen to our podcast. And 
I just find it really, really, really good fun. I mean, insanely good fun, just going on the road and getting to see different parts of, I mean, it's England and Wales, really. But journeying with the guys and having curry and singing in the car. And I absolutely love, this is this is um, counterintuitive, really, if you're trying to promote women's cycling. But I loved the fact that you would get to the finish line of a race and have no idea what had happened in the race because you couldn't watch it live. The live Twitter feed, bless, just weren't able to keep up with the racing. So it was proper old school dial in a report type journalism where you would go to the riders and just bombard as many riders as you possibly could to get the story of the stage. And then the three of us would come together over, you know, a Coke or a cider or whatever it might be and compare stories as to what had happened or we'd be WhatsApping each other and say, such and such just said there was a crash. Are you with someone who can tell us any more about it? Or, you know, they were caught in the breakaway and and somebody was dropped and, and didn't make it through, blah, blah, blah. Um, I just find that so insanely fun because, like I say, it's like the old school version of the Tour de France where stories were basically just made up, you know, and they'd be they'd be phoned in from a phone box and nobody was there to ever contradict these stories of, you know, heroism and dare doing. The difference with us is that the highlights were coming on the TV later that night, so we couldn't make anything up, but it's really fun to gather the stories that way. And I guess one particular favourite then was a day that I spent with Drops in the car um, and we were off the back of the race all day um, and it was just such fun to watch a race from the back because anytime I'm in a team car, I'm up at the front, you know, and that's the reason you've chosen that car because they've got a leader or somebody likely to be in the break. And I loved watching a race from the arse end of it because it's completely different um, and just as valid and arguably more interesting than what you get to see up the front. We'll take you to the back and then you have to go from car to car. But I'll take a fine. I'll take you as far as I can until I get a bollocking. And then you'll have to overtake me on the right. On that wheel, this is it. This is your last chance saloon. Come on, Manon. Give me five more minutes. One more effort. Come on. So Bob, you've left Man on there with the Grappetto to do her bit and get in for the re- for the day. That's her her role for the rest of the race. Now we're heading up through the race convoy. Yeah, I mean, it was unfortunate that Manon crashed because we I was hoping she'd be a bit more active in the first part of the race. But... You already mentioned uh, women's Roubaix and uh, the uh, Tour de France Femme. What do you see as being like the next milestones for women's cycling? Um, and what do you see the role of the podcast being in, in terms of covering them? Like, have you have you talked about how you're going to do the coverage for, for next summer? Do you have ideas about what that's going to look like and will it be different than it is right now? We haven't actually. It's a really good question. We haven't. I mean, we, we usually will WhatsApp each other on a Tuesday and say, oh, we have to do a podcast this Friday. What will we talk about? <laughs> so that amount of forethought doesn't go into it. It will, though. It will with um, the Tour de France fam. Um, even though I've mentioned it already, that's that's it. That's that's the next big thing. The Tour de France fam, not just how it's staged and how it um goes, but how it's received and and what that leads to. Um, I'm a bit nervous about it for a number of reasons because I feel like, as is so often the case with women's sport, 
the soapbox around it almost becomes a bigger feature than the actual sport that we should be talking about. And that's what we got an awful lot of with um, La Course by the Tour de France. We'd have so many articles every year from journalists saying, why is it not a woman's Tour de France? Oh, come on, talk about the race that we've got, you know, please come to the race and then have an opinion. Because if you come to the race, you'll be so bowled over by the racing, you won't have time to talk about what we don't have. And in, and it will be the case at the Tour de France fam where even if it's a success, we'll have a glut of articles saying, well, now why don't we have a three-week women's Tour de France when nobody is, literally nobody is calling for a three-week Tour de France fam that I've ever heard within the peloton anyway. Um, and so it'll probably take a few years to stabilise and, and even itself out, whereby we're allowed to just talk about the racing action and not about what it should mean um, going forward. But I think that's that is going to be really important. It is because um because the woman's calendar, like the men's calendar, is difficult to follow as a cohesive narrative if you're if you're new to cycling. And the women's Tour de France will give us um a very easy touchstone for people. And it will be who won the women's Tour de France. Oh, it was her. She must be a big deal. We don't get that with other races unless you're a, ma- a massive cycling fan. Um, what I'll be curious to see, however, is whether the women's cycling calendar will change, whether we're going to continue with this um, copying and pasting largely of the men's calendar or whether we'll see any kind of a splinter movement, whether we're going to see um, an organisation of riders and teams trying something different. Because the most common thing we hear from women's cycling is it shouldn't be a copy of the men's because the men's model is broken. It's not um, a world-dominating commercial money-making machine, is it? It's not sustainable from one year to the next. Sponsors pull out, riders' jobs are at risk in a way that we don't have with other sports. We simply don't. So is that a model that we want to copy? I would say no. Um, It's really hard when you get into the races because the races for cycling fans hold so much importance and and I would hate to lose any races but but you know I'm I've, I'm new to MotoGP this season and it's really easy to follow because we have a championship and the championship matters and every race win matters but it also matters largely towards the championship and we don't have that in in women's or men's cycling so I wonder will we see something a bit more cohesive in women's cycling in the next few years I'd be curious to see whether we do um, and excited if it came off if it did happen yeah, it's interesting because Lionel always says, well, if if somebody was to try and invent, a, a, like to have the first Grand Tour right yeah. now, nobody would nobody would go for it. Everyone would think it was crazy to try and do something like that. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see, like you say, if cycling, if women's cycling tries to mirror that or it goes in its own direction. Mm-hmm. All right, well, um, you've given some really fantastic answers and I think people will be really interested to hear your perspective on uh, on what you yeah what you've given us. So you did a brilliant uh, job. You should be guest presenter in the podcast. <laughs> you were great. Well, thank you very much. 